Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you yet again on another episode of the podcast and, of course, uh, local radio here as well in Salt Lake City for someone who's uh, made quite a name for himself in the area, especially if you have any inclination towards gardening and self-reliance and seed saving and those types of things. Uh, the man I'm going to have on, which we just discussed before we hit record, uh, he's been on the show before, but it's been a decade, and so it's uh, far past time to have him back on Vitality Radio. I'll introduce him to you in just a moment. Before I do that, I'll remind you of a couple of things. Uh, we are uh, celebrating our 46th uh, year uh, in business at Vitality Nutrition, and uh, we couldn't do it without you. We appreciate what you do for us, and certainly for you listening here, if you have questions for any of uh, about anything you hear on the show, you can call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And you can also check us out online at vitalitynutrition.com. Now, we have a very exciting event coming up in uh, just a little bit, and that is uh, going to be part of the focus of our discussion today uh, on Vitality Radio, and that is the Your Health Freedom Symposium. It's October 7th. Uh, in West Jordan, Utah. And while many of you are listening outside of Utah, one of the things that I was able to arrange with Kristen, uh, who promotes the event, is to have almost everybody who is speaking at the event on Vitality Radio. Uh, and so you'll get to hear some of the wisdom that you would otherwise have to wait for the symposium for. But um, in most cases, I'm not getting as much time with those individuals as they'll have there on the stage. This is actually an exception today. We have a whole full, a whole show dedicated to my next guest, and his name is Caleb Warnock. Uh, he's a best-selling author of 24 nonfiction books, including Backyard Winter Gardening, The Art of Baking with Natural Yeast, which was actually about 10 years ago, which is what we talked to him about last time on Vitality Radio, uh, Successful Gardening in Utah, Forgotten Skills of Self-Sufficiency, and 276 Edible Wild Plants of the United States and Canada. He is an expert on gardening in the arid West and has taught gardening classes for more than 25 years. He's one of the nation's leading experts in geo thermal greenhouse design and created the above ground Wallapini greenhouse. He owns the nationwide heirloom seed company seedrenaissance.com. Caleb Warnock, welcome back to Vitality Radio. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's exciting to have you back, and for a couple of reasons. One is because we are celebrating the fact that both of us get to speak on stage at uh, the Your Health Freedom Symposium coming up. Uh, yes. But also, I do feel that this is an area that I've neglected a bit on Vitality Radio over the 15 years that I've done it. And I want everybody listening, because there are so many listeners outside of Utah, to know that... <laughs> While Caleb absolutely knows what he's doing in Utah, uh, we will be uh, giving you a little bit more of a national perspective on uh, on uh, what we're going to talk about here as well. So certainly stay tuned for that. But the question I want to ask you first, Caleb, is 
how is it that you actually got into all of this? You've been you're you're kind of known around these parts as the guy when it comes to gardening and and seed uh, uh, seed saving, uh, all of this type of stuff. Uh, where did that all start for you? One of my spiritual gifts is eating. I love to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something we have in common. <laughs> I was lucky to grow up in the gardens and kitchens of not only my grandparents but my great-grandparents on both sides and um, they made really good food and grew big gardens and um, I discovered as I got older that the stuff that you could buy in the grocery store doesn't really compare in taste to what you can grow in your backyard and I just love to eat. So <laughs> that's how, kind of how I got into this. Uh, fair enough. I love it. Well, and if you if you love to eat, then, of course, you also love to eat well. And uh, certainly uh, there's a difference between the two, right? We can just get calories or we can get really delicious calories that also, of course, uh, provide a lot of nutrition for our bodies. So when I first heard about you, you had done the book uh, Forgotten Skills of Self-Sufficiency. That was the first one I came across. We sold it at Vitality Nutrition for years. And it's a a fantastic book because I do believe that there is, you know, as we've, I'll say, quote unquote, advanced uh, with uh, technology and everything else, and certainly with uh, the way that food is grown and processed and and all of that, uh, many of those advances have come with uh, some significant loss in uh, the nutrient density of our food, uh, the quality of our food, and uh, the even the toxic load of our food. The vitality of our food. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And I loved that particular book because it really did, it, it served as a great reminder uh, that there were some people that came before us that knew exactly what they were doing uh, when it came to food. And uh, th- the name of the book says it all, Forgotten Skills. Uh, we've forgotten a lot of those things. And so that was that was where you first came across my radar. And uh, I, have, I, I have that book uh, still uh, in my kitchen to this day. And I think it's a fantastic manual for people trying to understand some of these things and, and get back to how it used to be done. In many cases, how it was done right uh, versus how it's done today. So at Kristen's event, I'm going to be talking about what is possible as far as turning your backyard into a grocery store, turning a house into a homestead, and um, turning your landscaping into food self-reliance. I love that. The backyard grocery store is a great term. Question for you. We all lived through this craziness of the last few years. Have you found that there's much more interest in that specific department at this point of uh, self-reliance and and uh, making it happen on our own? Absolutely. I think people, um, well, as you, I'm sure everybody's heard, uh, lots of people tried to make bread for the first time during the pandemic, and lots of people mm-hmm. went back and pulled the old garbage out of their garden and started gardening again. And And I think partly Mm -hmm. because people had a little bit more time on their hands, but also just because things felt uncertain. And it's always grounding and builds confidence when you have food growing in your backyard. And it is um, mentally helpful to uh, get out and connect with nature. So for a lot of reasons, I think a lot of people right now are really interested in this subject. 
Yeah, I, I, it seems to me, from certainly from an outsider's perspective, as I'm no expert in this uh, area, but uh, that there is absolutely a renewed interest in this area. And, and I have personally had a renewed interest. We started gardening again during the pandemic ourselves uh, after not having done it for, for several years. I just this morning uh, was uh, browsing around on social media and, and a friend of mine in I'm trying to remember where he's he's not here in Utah, but uh, his uh, his post was just a picture and it said today's harvest. And uh, there were tomatoes and raspberries and strawberries and beets and, you know, a whole bunch of different things that uh, he'd, he'd gathered in from his from his yard, along with the, there was a picture of the of the harvest on his table and then a picture of the plants that, you know, gave him that har- harvest. And it I see more and more of that uh, popping up. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful thing to see, really, because I think what I noticed during COVID, among many things, that I uh, that I witnessed was that when people can't get toilet paper, they start to panic and they start to think about gardening, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> so, so I think a guy like you is uh, is in a great spot to uh, help to educate these people that are that are looking to figure this out. So talk about the backyard grocery store for a minute. What does that mean to you? I love what you just said about figuring it out. This is what it's all about. Is and this is what I'm hope to do is just help people figure out what can they do as far as turning their backyard into a grocery store, um, either on a small scale or a large scale, whatever you are comfortable with. And I think that starts with deciding what it is that you, I have a little quiz that I give people. I say, what root vegetables do you eat the most of? Uh, What root vegetables? Um, I guess it'd be uh, a, a variety of different uh, potatoes, um, and uh, well, I don't know if you even consider that's a tuber. I know, so is that also a root vegetable? Uh, and and carrots, I think. Okay, and of the potatoes and the carrots, and probably onions. I I think most people eat onions also. Oh, I eat a uh, tremendous amount of onions. I don't know why right. I didn't say that. Yeah, that's probably my favorite vegetable of all. And onions are kind of the, a flavor basis for a lot of dishes. Um, for me, it would mm-hmm. be sweet potatoes and potatoes and onions and carrots. And then because I'm a little strange, I like to do parsnips and cabbage and beets and sunchokes. So for you, how do you grow any? So now we've established that you use a lot of potatoes and carrots and onions. Do you this year? Did you? Now I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> did Go you? Go ahead. Grow any of those? I told. I told you that'd be okay. Did we did not. We did not grow them this year. We were in a little bit of a, a flux situation. Uh, nope. No. Potentially no selling my home. Actually. Yeah, well, it's a horrible excuse, but that is the excuse that I'm using. Um, we have a fantastic area in the yard that could be used for these things and has been used, but it was not used this year. And it it's not about, you know, why didn't we do it? It's just, and I don't, I don't think it's valuable for your listeners to think, oh gosh, why, you know, to panic about it. I have a friend who says, let's save shame for sin because we're not talking about sin here. (laughs) What we're talking about is just where are we at right now? Where are we at right now? Um, Then what frozen vegetables do you eat the most of? 
That's a good question. Um, not much uh, frozen, uh, actually. Uh, we buy a lot of fresh uh, organic produce when we're not producing our own stuff. Um, probably actually do more frozen fruit than vegetables. But if, if I was going to say the vegetables that we uh, do the most uh, frozen, uh, probably green beans. Okay, excellent. And right now is peak green bean season. Just out of curiosity, what frozen fruits do you eat the most of? Uh, that's typically typically going to be berries uh, more than anything. Uh, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, uh, and raspberries. Big fans of all of those things. And um, we actually do often buy frozen mango as well. So those are probably the big ones there. And I hope your listeners are sort of answering these questions along with us. Um, you at home, what vegetables are you eating? What frozen, what root vegetables, what frozen vegetables, what frozen fruits? Um, again, not to put you on the spot, but did you freeze any fruits or vegetables from your garden, Jared, in the last couple of years? In the last couple of years, yes, but not this last year. Okay, what did you freeze? Uh, let's see, we would be, if, in terms of freezing, probably just strawberries, um, a, a decent amount of bottling um, as well. Uh, we, we have a couple of great apple trees, uh, so we've done a lot with those, uh, with uh, you know, applesauce and that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of freezing, I think probably just strawberries that I can think of. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, I do want to just pause and remind people that you can freeze whole peaches, apricots, nectarines. Um, you, you just take them. I mean, apples don't quite work, unfortunately. If you want to freeze apples, that takes a okay. little bit more work. But if you, and every year I have extra of, you know, of peaches and uh, nectarines, plums, Pears, those things, pears get a little bit damaged, but um, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, you can just freeze them whole. Just put them right into the freezer, in a freezer bag, and then you can take those out and use them later to make smoothies or pies or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. That's one really easy answer if you've got stone fruits in the backyard that you can just put them in a bag and put them in the freezer. <laughs> Figure out what to do with them later. That's an easy answer. No preparation at all. No preparation at all. Just put them in the Interesting. freezer. Interesting. Okay. Apricots. You can do the same thing with apricots. So that's a really easy tip. Um, what leafy vegetables do you eat the most? Uh, well, you mentioned cabbage. I'm a, a big lover of cabbage. Um, I love... Um, I love spinach, um, and I don't um, don't eat a lot of lettuces. Uh, so probably spinach, and I don't know if you even consider cabbage a, a leafy vegetable or not. But those would probably be the ones that come to mind. I think you can tell a personality type by the leafy vegetables they eat, because I also am a huge consumer. I eat more cabbage than any other leafy vegetable, and it's because it has that little crunch to it. <laughs> and if you're a type A personality... I, I love cabbage. You like to crunch. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. People yeah, who like yeah. to get things done eat crunchy food. That's what I've discovered. Um, I love cabbage tacos. I love cabbage wraps. So cabbage is hugely mm -hmm. important. Um have you grown any leafy vegetables over the past couple of years? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, when we did the garden, uh, the, the last that we did it, we did cabbage as well as uh, uh, bok choy. Um, I'm a big fan of both. Um, we, I'm trying to think if we did anything else leafy. I think those are probably the only ones that we did that were leafy vegetables. One of my um, things that I eat every week is stir fry and bok choy is so good for stir fry and so easy to grow. Yes. What, what are you doing with your bok choy? Uh, we did uh, we did a variety of different things. Um, I love uh, you mentioned cabbage wraps. Um, I love that. We did uh, we did some salads as well. Uh, you know, raw. Um, I love to steam both of those. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember if we actually did any stir fry with it. But if we didn't, that's silly because I love it in stir fry as well. But I'm not sure if we actually did that with ours or not. Okay, excellent. Um, what about tree fruits what tree fruits we've discussed this a little bit because you have got some of those frozen but what tree fruits do you eat the most and before you answer that i'm gonna predict what you i'm gonna predict okay i think for most people for most of your listeners and for you and me it probably starts in the realm of apples and peaches am i right or wrong Mm -hmm. yeah apples are probably my most consumed uh, fruit of all for sure. I love apples and I do absolutely love peaches and apricots. Uh, used to have a peach tree uh, years ago, but uh, it, uh, it something happened to it and it ended up dying on me. So we don't currently grow peaches, but love both of those for sure. Um, I, uh, I love cherries, uh, love plums. Uh, those are probably the ones that I find myself gravitating to the most. Okay. And out of those, do you, and you've already mentioned that you have some apple, at least one apple tree, a couple of Mm -hmm. apple trees. Two apple trees. Yeah. Do you grow cherries and plums? Uh, No. And it's interesting. So Caleb, a little background on me. Most of my people that listen know this, but I, I, when my mother passed away, I actually bought the family home and I live where I grew up uh, in Bountiful, Utah. And so as a child, this backyard was a little orchard. In fact, we live a block away from Orchard Drive in Bountiful, where many of the fruit orchards were way back in the day. Um, We had peach, we had cherries, we had plum, uh, and we had two apple. We had, I think, let's see, I'm trying to remember. Two cherry trees, a plum tree, a peach tree, and two apple trees, I think were the whole thing. And when I bought it, by the time I got to it, the last two surviving were just the apple trees. So that's all I've got right now as far as as far as fruit trees, but at one point we had a bunch of them. When I was when I was a youngster, we used to. I, well, I hated it because I was the one stepping in them when I was trying to mow the lawn, uh, but I loved eating them. Uh, so it was kind of a you know two edged sword there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, um, and then what? Oh, can, and again, how long can can I just ask? How long ago did you move on to that ancestral property? Uh, about four years ago. Okay, so it's been about four years. um, Then last question, what berries do you think you eat the most? And again, I'm going to play a little game and and predict your answer before you give it. And I'm I'm going to guess that for you and your listeners, probably grapes, strawberries, and raspberries. Yeah, those have got to be the biggest. I will say that my, my son, he's almost 11, is 
possibly the biggest consumer of raspberries that I know. Uh, big, big fan of those. But blackberries uh, are right there with them. So we, we do a lot with blackberries and raspberries. Um, I absolutely love grapes. So of all of those, I probably eat more grapes than any of the ones that you mentioned. But yeah, those are the ones. Blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, grapes, um, a little bit of um, uh, blueberries from time to time, but not as much. Um. And in the West, uh, we like to grow service berries. What I, I call Western blueberries are called service berries because service berries grow a lot better in the West than blueberries do. And blueberries go really nicely on the coast and in the East. Um, now we have covered what root vegetables you like, what root vegetables, frozen vegetables, leaf vegetables, tree fruits, and berries you eat the most. And we've covered a little bit about where your self-reliance could be improved on those areas. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if we had to make a little plan for your property in particular, I would say you first plant the things that take the longest to harvest. In your case, that might be, let's get some fruit trees on the property. Um, mm -hmm. You had a peach tree, you said it died. That's most likely boar beetle that took out your peach tree. And, you know, that's not what we're talking about today. But there are easy ways to take care of boar beetles so that you, organic ways, easy, you know, I don't use any chemicals, um, easy organic ways to take care of boar beetles so that you can have your peaches and your nectarines back. You can plant some plums and maybe you feel like you have enough apples, um, I feel like nobody has enough apples. <laughs> if you have enough eating apples, then the next step is to buy a cider press and then you'll never have enough apples again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a fun thing to do in the autumn. Um, could you, uh, or do you want to put in some fruit trees? Yeah, actually I, I do. In fact, um, that's one thing. It really is one thing that I miss, uh, that I have some really mostly wonderful other than stepping in them childhood memories of was, you know, out, uh, getting the ladders out and harvesting the fruit and enjoying the fruit is phenomenal stuff. So that's something that I, uh, I do intend to do for sure. And, uh, we're actually looking, so I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen yet with this, uh, with this house. I'm actually getting married, uh, just got engaged, uh, 10 days ago. Uh, yep. and, uh, my sweetheart is a heck of a gardener. Uh, and so we're going to be, uh, reestablishing that, but I think we're going to buy a home and pot. And I think I'm going to keep this one and rent it. So, uh, we'll have to see what happens in the next yard, but yeah, there will be fruit trees in one or both places for sure. So, listeners of Vitality Radio, what we just heard was that I'm talking to the wrong person here. We should be talking to his fiance. <laughs> In every case, that is the case. Yes. <laughs> she's going to come. Isn't it funny care. that I'm the one that has the podcast, but she's the one worth listening to? <laughs> <laughs> she would probably agree. That's what my wife would say, too. Why are you listening to him? I'm the one worth listening to. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, that's another thing we need to get together with our spouse and we need to figure out um, what it is between everyone in the family, what it is that we want to grow, what's going to take the longest to get in. Uh, there's still opportunity this autumn to put in some peach trees, some plum trees, whatever it is that you would benefit most having on your property. It takes three to four years to get a full harvest off of a fruit tree and 
the fruit tree selection, um, the availability is going to be a lot lower right now, but what is left will be on sale. So there's that advantage right now. You could go out nationwide and choose the fruit tree that you want and get that in. Also, if you put in the berries right now, raspberries, blackberries, service berries, blueberries, um, currants, gooseberries, tay berries, whatever, um, you could put those in this autumn and get a full crop off of them next year. If you wait until next spring, then you're not going to get a full crop until 2025. So there's another idea is what can we do this autumn to make our backyard into a grocery store for next year? I love that. So let me ask you a question about the logistics of that. You say this autumn. So what is the, at least in Utah anyway, what's the time frame that we're looking at? How late is too late in terms of planting these things? Well, nationwide, you want to do it before the ground freezes. Wherever you live, you want to do it before the ground freezes. Um, that used to be sort of in November in the West, but now it's in December in the West. Uh, mm-hmm. But where you just, you know, and I'm talking about the ground freezes for the winter, not the frost have come. You can still plant these things. Uh, even if those trees have gone dormant, you can still plant them, but they do need to be planted before the ground has frozen for the winter. Okay, so we still have some time for sure. All right, I love that. Absolutely, we've got some time. So that's uh, number one. Number two is, I want to you know just talk about some really easy options. Another easy option is the biblical gleaner option. Um, right now, let's say that your name is Jared Sinclair and you let your peach tree die or your peach tree died and you don't have any peaches, but you would like to make some peach freezer jam. What you could do is go on to your social media. You could go to your um, church group. You could go to your friends and your neighbors and you can just say, hey, does anybody have 12 peaches I can have? because I want to make a batch of freezer jam. That's the gleaner option. There are people out there who have more than they need, and they are often very willing to give it away. And Mm -hmm. so you don't even have to have it right now in your backyard in order to get that going. Find out who in your area has more than they need or does not harvest all of their tree, and you can get lots of things for free. Have you ever done that before? I like that too. That's great. Uh, I've been on the giving end of that. Uh, You said you can never have too many apples, but we do get a bumper crop of apples uh, here. And uh, my, well, I'll tell you, before I moved in, when my mother was still here, I was the one coming down and getting apples for myself. Uh, And uh, she was also giving away to the neighbors and things like that. She didn't have a cider press. So uh, clearly that was her bad, right? But uh, so, but no, I've never actually uh, gone out and necessarily solicited them. I've had a lot of people, you know, offer them and we've taken things over the years. I had, I have a friend who's father has a peach orchard uh and uh up in ogden and i think he i don't remember what the number of trees is but 50 or 60 trees or something like that and uh, we've been able to go up there and harvest those uh, on multiple occasions uh as well so i to, to some degree but i've never actually thought about just kind of soliciting it out on like social media or something like that and it makes sense because they're a hundred percent anybody that 
uh, has fruit trees uh, has found themselves in a position where they're not quite sure they're going to use all their stuff. And so I think that makes all kinds of sense. You can also do this in the spring. There are lots of people who like to start their own um, little starts in the house or in the greenhouse, and they may have extras. So you might, you know, in the spring say, does anybody have any extra tomato plants that they are not using that they want to give away? Does anybody have any extra seeds that they're trying to give away that I could use over here? Uh, there, This gleaner option, I think, it's important to decide, are you a giver? Well, I think we're all a giver and a receiver. What do I have at my house that I could offer? What do I have in my backyard grocery store that I could offer so that it doesn't go to waste, so that it can be a blessing to someone else? And now that I have made a list of the specific things that I would use the most of in my household, what is it that I don't have that I could maybe get um, if mm-hmm. I went out and asked? Yeah, I think that's great. That uh, it's as simple as it gets, but it makes it makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure it's probably not that hard to find. Um, it's also on. You know, you can look at your local local free classifieds, and you know, it's all on there. Mm-hmm. Um, another option that we have to turn our backyard into a grocery store is to expand our harvests with our children and with uh, our friends and with our neighbors. So you said. Sometimes you would go to your mom's house and you would get this and that and the other out of the backyard. And I have a friend who shares 50-50 a chicken coop and chickens with their next door neighbors. So they share all of the duties and they have shared the expenses and put that together so that they can split the eggs in half. Um, You Mm -hmm. might, with your children or with your parents or with your best friend or with your neighbor or with your gardening group or whoever it is, you might say, why don't you plant on your property this early peach, uh, like let's say a veteran peach, an early peach variety, and I'll plant in Alberta a later peach variety, and then we'll, you can, we can have peaches for an extra, you know, instead of having fresh peaches for three weeks a year, we can have peaches for six weeks a year. And we'll uh, split half of your tree, and then you'll split half of my tree. How about that? How about a grape variety? I'll grow this variety of grape. You grow that variety of grape. We'll share. We'll split half and half. So we can just expand not only what's available to us, but also we can expand out the harvest season if we're careful in choosing the cultivars and the types of food that we grow. And then also we can turn our backyard into a grocery store by, um, I think it's, you said that you've been doing some canning and there are certainly things, you know, I find it easier to freeze. I do can, of course, um, can apple juice and grape juice and can peaches and then you've got to can salsa. But I, I think that people would be surprised about how many things you can just freeze and it's a lot faster and simpler and cheaper. Um, canning does take some time and there are things that you can just freeze like right now every day I'm got it's just as I said it's green bean season green beans coming out my ears I go out every day in the garden and eat fresh blackberries and fresh green beans and then I grab a pile of green beans and yesterday I was grabbing tomatoes out of the garden to bring in to process the tomatoes so what can we do to preserve what we've got so that we don't let it go to waste if we're not going to give it away 
and we feel pressed for time. Um, are there, you know, some people have a root cellar, some people have a cold room in their basement. What can we put into the cold room? What can we put into the root cellar? What do I, what are my priorities for canning? And what can I take out of my backyard and just preserve quickly by putting it into the freezer, which is a lot of vegetables. A lot of people don't think about freezing zucchini, but if you slice up and blanch for two minutes some zucchini slices, then you'll have that all winter long. And you can do the same thing with your green beans. You can do the same thing with all of your root vegetables and just blanch it really quickly and then put it into the freezer so that you've got that later. Do you hmm. do do you do um, have you made any jams or jellies? Do you have a cold room? Um, I, <laughs> again, I'm here to pick on you, but <laughs> do you do any preserving? Uh, yeah, that's one where I have uh, reaped the rewards of uh, uh, ha- being now engaged to a wonderful woman. Uh, as we've been dating for the last couple of years, and she is uh, the queen of freezer jam, uh, so we always enjoy that. Uh, it's, that that's actually probably where most of the strawberries have gone is to freezer jam, and uh, she is uh, she bottles jam as well. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think we probably have about four different flavors of, of jam right now from uh, over the last couple of years. Some frozen, some bottled, and uh, we've. Uh, she's also done salsas uh, and some things like that. So th- these are things that um, I have. I am very much a novice in this area, and one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is because I, I really do feel more than ever, like I'm sure a lot of people do, the urge to get more self-reliant. And um, and so I'm really finally, over the last couple of years, investigating more the ways that I can do that. Uh, and we're working, we're, we're learning how to make sourdough bread and, and, you know, things like that as well. So we're kind of going across the board, trying to figure out better ways to not just improve our health through our nutrition, but uh, become more self-reliant with the things that we're putting into our bodies. So yeah, we're, we're definitely a work in progress there. So what we need to do is get your wife to be on this show and then she can tell you that freezer jam is so easy. You can make freezer jam in about 10 minutes. Just take your fresh fruit or berries. Um, if they're berries, just put them in a pan. If they're fruit, chop them up, put them in a pan and heat them to a boil for about 10 minutes, add a touch of liquid stevia, um, and then you're done. That's all you have to do to make freezer jam. Let it cool and put it into a freezer container, and then you've got freezer jam that you can use for more than just toast. You know, you can use it for all kinds of things. And any berry, any fruit. Also, um, people forget that one of the great things in life is ambrosia jam, which is half uh, cantaloupe and half apricot or half peach or a combination of those things. So you can even do some of your cantaloupe melons that way. It's a really great way to use the excess because as anyone who grows cantaloupes in the garden knows, There's no cantaloupe, there's no cantaloupe, and then there's more cantaloupe than you could possibly eat all at once. (laughs) (laughs) And so turning turning some of that into ambrosia jam is a really great option. Hmm. Um, Let's talk then a little bit about eggs. Do you have backyard eggs? So my son, I mentioned him earlier, uh, is the 
world's greatest lover of chickens. Uh, he is he it just absolutely loves his chickens. All of them are named. Um, he he spends time with almost every chicken every day, uh, holding it, talking to it. He just adores these chickens. He's got chicken posters on his wall. Um, I bought him a, a an egg gathering apron uh, a couple of years ago, uh, so he can uh, have a little apron with individual egg pockets in it to go out and gather the eggs. So yes, we um, we always are eating those incredible eggs. That's something that's been going on for for several years now. So the first question is, do you, this is for your listeners, do you have eggs in your backyard? Can you have eggs in your backyard? And if you are an advanced uh, human being like the Sinclair family, then the next question is, (laughs) what can you do to decrease the amount that you are spending on chicken feed? And feed those chickens self-reliantly. I have not purchased chicken feed in 20 years. And there are all kinds of ways to help... um, increase the amount of food that you can get out of those chickens without having to buy any food for them, making sure that you are uh, taking any leftover vegetables, grains, and from the household and giving them to the chickens to eat so that you're not just buying processed chicken feed, um, which I think is not healthy for the chickens, not healthy for the people, and um, kind of a waste of money. But thinking back along self-reliance, if you want to turn your backyard into a grocery store, what can you do to make those chickens um, more self-reliant so that you don't have to buy feed for them, including growing things like Orac spinach and feeding them the seeds and red root uh, amaranth pigweed, which grows wild all around Utah, and mallow seeds and all kinds of seeds that you could grow to feed them. Um, I, I wouldn't say most people who are going to grow their own wheat, like I grow a whole bunch of small plots of grain in my backyard, but I don't give any of that to my chickens because that's too valuable (laughs) as human food. Uh, The chickens have to get second tier food, (laughs) leftovers and and, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. So that's something that you can do to increase your backyard grocery store, either get eggs or figure out how you can make those eggs more free. What about culinary herbs? Do you grow culinary herbs at your house? Uh, not currently, but that was also something that we had going uh, a couple of years ago. So right now, as I said yesterday, I was out gathering tomatoes and beginning to process tomatoes. And if you're going to make salsa or if you're going to make tomato soup to can like I do, you're going to make homemade ketchup to can like I do. You're going to make tomato sauce, a lot of tomato sauce like I do to can. You're going to need basil and oregano and thyme. You're going to need garlic and onions, chives and garlic chives. And if you're going to make some uh, quick pickles, uh, uh, they call them lazy housewife pickles, or even real pickles, then you're going to need dill. You might be fermenting vegetables out of your backyard, in which case you might want chives and garlic chives and, um, you know, parsley and any of these kinds of things. The great thing about most of these is that they are perennial, what we kind of call food forest items. So if you put oregano in, you're going to have that for life. If you put thyme in, you're going to have that for life. If you put garlic in and you have a little bit of skill, you'll have that there for life. If you plant the correct kind of onions, you'll have those for life and chives and garlic chives, all of these culinary herbs that are so easy to grow and 
can be dried or used fresh and are certainly needed because if you want your family to eat vegetables, then seasoning them correctly is the key to that. Mm -hmm. And that is based in culinary herbs. So there's another way that you can turn your backyard into a grocery store. Uh, I think it is funny that there, if you go to the grocery store today, you find that they've got little rooted plants of rosemary and thyme and um, parsley or sprigs, bunches of fresh parsley and oregano and stuff like that. And I don't know, what does that cost? Like three or four dollars for one little handful? Mm -hmm. But you could easily, easily grow that stuff yourself. In fact, I um, do property consultations all over. And I was last week, I was doing a property consultation. When I rang the doorbell, they answered the door and I said, I love your culinary uh, garden that you've got right in front of your house growing. This person had all these herbs that we just discussed growing right in amongst her flowers in the front yard. And she said, you are the only person who has ever noticed that I have all of my kitchen herbs right in with my flower bed. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. And what a great idea just to have them right there by the front door. That's why they call it, they used to call it a kitchen garden because the things that you're going to use every day, which are the culinary herbs and spices, then you want those to be as close to the house as possible. Just put them right in with your flowers. And if you don't have some of those things going, and because they are perennial, those perennials could still be planted now, even from seed. If you put the seeds of the perennials in the ground right now, like thyme and oregano and... Um, Uh, It's time now to plant the garlic and the onions, uh, garlic chives and regular chives, all of those things you could plant right now from seed out into the garden. And they might not come up right now, but they will certainly come up in the spring and you will already have done it. It's already planted. It's already taken care of in the spring while you're trying to get other things planted. You won't even have to worry about that. And they'll come up on the cycle of nature because they have overwintered. Those seeds have overwintered and they will be strong and they will be vital. That's awesome advice. I love that. Now, I didn't I didn't realize, like I say, I'm very much a novice in this space, but uh, I didn't realize the perennial nature of, of so many of those things. That's awesome. Yeah, the, about, I mean, cilantro is an annual and basil is an annual. Um, other than that, most of these are perennial and will just come back <laughs> year right. after year after year after year. In the West, you just have to provide them a little bit of water. Um, and they'll just take care of themselves. And we call that anything that you can plant once and harvest from for years and years, we call that a food forest, uh, a food forest item. And if you're looking to turn your backyard into a grocery store, then the next step in this whole plan would be to think about what kind of food forest items can I put into my yard, the basic ones, and then the um, more advanced ones, like, for example, some of the standard food forest items would be Egyptian walking onions because you plant those and you'll have them for the rest of your life. Most people, for some reason, are not growing a vegetable called strawberry spinach. Have you ever heard or heard of or eaten strawberry spinach? I don't th- think I have, no. Strawberry spinach is a variety of spinach that is a true spinach that you can eat. It's uh, heat-resistant spinach, so it's available um, fresh in the garden anytime that the ground is not frozen, all, so at least nine months out of the year here in the West. Hmm. And then it also produces a berry that looks kind of like a 
raspberry and tastes like a cross between a raspberry and a strawberry and is a really delicious berry. And it will, you plant that once and you will have it in your garden for the rest of your life. And it's so easy to grow. So that's a, a food forest standard. And then I don't know if you've ever had Orac spinach, but that's a purple, um, another heat tolerant spinach um, that is a purple spinach, which is uh, really, and also the grain from Orac, the seed grain from Orac is uh, really high in protein and is useful for humans and for feeding chickens. And then sunchokes, which are also called Jerusalem artichokes, are mm-hmm. uh, a food for, for standard. They're kind of like a sunflower that grows a potato at the bottom. Have you ever had that before? No, I've never grown it before, but I've had Jerusalem artichoke before, I think. So that's interesting. I don't know that I've ever actually seen it. Um, so I, I'll have to take a, I'll have to take a look uh, online and see what the, the pictures look like and see if it's something I've seen before. That's really interesting, though. So, yes, uh, and this is a, a, a native thing. It grows wild in some areas of the United States. And then another food forest standard that some people may already be growing in their yard but not eating is daylily roots. The tubers of daylilies are a really great um, addition. They um, sort of look and they look like sunchoke roots and they taste like potatoes and they are very healthy for you. So those are just some of the easy things that people could consider putting into their yard once they've got the other basic things going. And then, of course, just plant your carrots in the spring and put your cabbage in if you're like you or me. And um, I like parsnips and beets and sweet potatoes need a little bit of a longer season. So if you... Um, you need a short, in the West, you need to grow a short season sweet potato or you need to put them into a greenhouse. Um, that's a more advanced concept, getting yourself, if you're going to spend money on a greenhouse, you'll want a 12-month uh, Wallapini-type greenhouse uh, as inexpensive as possible. Um, right now, the materials to build a 12 by 16 uh, 365-day Wallapini greenhouse costs about $1,500. Um, which is the lowest price, you know, since the pandemic. So that's um, something that if people want to get a little more advanced in turning their backyard into a grocery store, then having a geothermal Wallapini greenhouse that can truly be used 12 months out of the year, that does not freeze, that is a zone nine greenhouse is a major step in that direction that can help provide you with fresh food um, all the time. Uh, do you have a greenhouse at your property? I do not. I do not. That's actually another thing that we've talked about, though. So uh, I was it, say, I, 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 I'm not familiar with the wallapini, though. Yeah, a, wall- a wallapini is just a fancy way of, of saying it's an ancient design for for a geothermal greenhouse. It's a type of geothermal greenhouse that is a lot cheaper and easier to use and the basics of it are, have been in use for at least 2000 years. So it's, wow. you know, it's a type of greenhouse that is, you know, you have to think about yourself. Do you want a commercial greenhouse that requires a staff and has to be watered three times a day that requires electricity? A Wallapini greenhouse is completely self-reliant. It requires no electricity. It requires no artificial heat, no solar. It doesn't, you know, it collects its own water in the winter and it's inexpensive to build 
you know, $1,500 is really a pretty good price. And you want to put your money, if you're going to invest in your garden space, you want to put your money toward where you're going to get the biggest return from your buck. Where you and I live out here in the West, um, our gardening season is short. Um, compared to people who live on the coast, uh, our gardening season is very short. So do we want to invest a lot of money into a garden that will produce food for us for three months? Or should would our dollar be best invested in creating a greenhouse space where we could get fresh food 365 days a year? These are some of the advanced questions of turning your backyard into a grocery store. There's a lot of things that are possible. The next thing to think about is right now is, you know, it's almost Labor Day. It's almost September as we're recording this. So um, autumn garden, what do you grow? Have you ever grown an autumn winter garden? I have not. And that's actually one thing I've, I've read in, I can't remember which book it was of yours that I read. Uh, and I think we maybe even talked about it a little bit the last time we talked forever ago, uh, that I thought was really fascinating. What you can grow in Utah in the winter kind of blew my mind. And for your listeners, if you can grow it in Utah in the winter, <laughs> then wherever you are, you can grow it, including Alaska. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. So then we're, we are coming up close to needing to, to wrap this show up. And I, I get the feeling that uh, you can talk about this uh, eternally the same way as I can talk about vitamins and minerals. Uh, so we will need to wrap. But I am, for the people listening that have been intrigued by this conversation, and I know I certainly have been, um, you've got a few resources, obviously many books. Uh, but based on what we've just talked about specifically, the uh, turning your backyard into a grocery store, where would you send people for additional information to really try and understand this uh, in greater detail? Well, um, you know, you could start with my books, of course. Um, uh, Forgotten Skills of Self-Sufficiency is a great way to get started. If you want to do a winter garden, then I, my book on backyard winter gardening called Backyard Winter Gardening is a great resource. Um, if you really, I, I, I do say to people that I think you need to think about the the best way I was giving a, a, a speech about this last week to a group and they were asking me what's the best way we real they're, they're concerned about their kids and their grandkids how do we get our kids and our grandkids started on this and I said to them the only way is to do it yourself you can't scold them you can't preach to them you can't try to force them you can't nag them what you do is you shut your mouth and you do it yourself you just show by example and I think that's right. the best way to get started. And then um, also uh, I do property consultations if you really want to make a, a plan because it is a lot cheaper to do it right the first time. It's always cheaper mm -hmm. to do it right the first time. If you're not ready for a property consultation yet, then get an education by starting with my books and then go to my website for lots more information on these plants and where you can get them and the seeds and all of that. Excellent. Okay, so we'll have links to uh, where you can pick up the books uh, and to the website. Now, I know you have SeedRenaissance.com. Do you have another website as well, or is that where all this information is? Nope, that's it. SeedRenaissance.com, and you can always It's all there. Out. Okay. I'm on Facebook if you want to reach out to me on Facebook. We'll link to you in the show description for Facebook as well then. And uh, can people buy the books directly from you at SeedRenaissance.com if they'd like to do that as well? 
I don't sell my own books because I just can't do double shipping. It's the, that darn Amazon. They've got it too cheap. I can't compete. <laughs> so it's so so we'll link to the Amazon links for the books then. All right. Fantastic. Well, this is, I knew you'd be a wealth of information. I've heard you speak before and of course had you on the show forever ago. We'll have to do it more often. Uh, this has been fantastic. And I, I made some notes while we were talking. Uh, I'll, I'll go back and listen to this show again with my sweetheart because uh, it will sound a little less Greek to her uh, than some of it does to me. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to uh, hear you at the uh, Your Health Freedom Symposium. I'll plug that one more time before I let you go, uh, Caleb. Uh, Your Health Freedom, uh, a fantastic organization doing really, really great work here in Utah. Uh, if you are local or if you're local enough that you think you can get here on October 6th and 7th. The 6th is the is the gala. Uh, the 7th is the symposium. That's where I'll be speaking. Caleb will also be speaking, uh, talking about this same topic. And uh, along with a whole host of other fantastic speakers, you'll want to be there if you can for sure. Go to yourhealthfreedom.org for information and for tickets. And uh, other than that, Caleb, I'll let you have the parting word. What else would you like to leave my audience with before we say goodbye? Start somewhere, do something. Um, just start, grow something somewhere, freeze something, glean something. It's up to you to just take action and it doesn't have to be complicated. It should be joyful and it should be delicious. Ah, I love it because if you love to eat like Caleb and I do, Uh, You might as well eat amazing, delicious food that you grew yourself. All right. Thank you so much, Caleb. Appreciate you very much. Like I said, uh, for all of you listening, if you've been driving down the street and you weren't able to take notes, all of the links for all the things will be in the show description. Uh, If you're listening on local radio, uh, jump over to one of your podcast apps and uh, all that information will be there for you. Or call us at Vitality Nutrition. We'll help you find it at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. You can also check with us at our website, vitalitynutrition.com. Thank you so much, Caleb, for joining me on Vitality Radio. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to the show. Um, I, we were talking before, we just reached number 12 uh, in Belarus uh, for uh, natural and alternative uh, podcasts. I'm not sure if there are only 12 uh, in Belarus. I'm going to assume that there are millions and this is, just happens to be one of the best 12. Uh, regardless, wherever you're listening, thank you so much for doing it. I'm Jared St. Clair and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.